Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we just watched the premiere episode of Survivor 41 last night, and we're going to talk about it now. I think I said in the first episode that this would not be a recap podcast, but here we are recapping. The first rule of Survivor podcast, there are no rules. Exactly. Let's jump straight into the episode. So it opens with Jeff walking through the jungle and talking to the audience. He tells us that he has missed us. He's looking very refreshed. Very and, refreshed. <laughs> and he's telling us about how the game is going to change and that he's going to give us information before the players have it. We actually see him hide the beware advantage, which we still don't know what that is. Uh, we see him hide it at the Yasa camp, and that is very fortuitous because we will see that come into play a little bit later in the episode. Uh, what did you think of this little opening and Jeff's little speech? Um, well, first of all, I thought it was just like kind of electrifying to like have the show back and have that moment of realizing that, especially for me, having I just finished season 37 last night. So having watched 37 seasons in the last, I don't know, year and a half to have my first experience of like watching the show in real time was like, yeah, I, I definitely felt it in my body. That opening, I was struck by the nervous energy of Jeff, right? <laughs> I think it was like, it was giving nervous excited and it definitely veered into excited at times, but mostly it felt like what had become muscle memory for Jeff over the over the years had definitely fallen out just through, you know, you skip going to the gym for a while, the muscle goes down. It's the same thing here. So I definitely very much felt that this was being filmed in sequence, right? Like I, I could tell that like having cameras up and Jeff being in front of a camera, it all was like getting the gears turning again, which was exciting and I get it. My one, I don't know, note, if you will, I kind of miss like in the early days when Jeff would do his sort of like opening, you know, welcome to Survivor thing, you know, and the camera does that big dramatic zoom out, which it did last night. But you have like instances in the past, especially in those early seasons where it's like, Jeff on top of an active volcano. And I just felt like last night doing the zoom out and just Jeff's on the beach. Uh, I, I did miss the sort of like epicness of those early Survivor intros. Mm. But on the whole, I think just having the familiarity of Jeff and that dramatic zoom, um, it was a little bit like chicken soup. <laughs> I didn't mind it at all. I kind of liked seeing Jeff on the beach and it led into this next segment, which was the breaking of the fourth wall. There's been kind of two versions of breaking the fourth wall. There's Jeff talking directly to the camera, which happens a few times, but then there's also seeing the production behind the show. And so immediately when you cut away from Jeff on the beach, we get sort of the in-ear audio of production and we get the cameras set up for the marooning. And I don't know how you felt about it, but I really loved seeing that. I loved seeing the behind the scenes. 
it was just so epic. I mean, like I, I it really uh, gave a sense of of like how big this production is on this show. And I thought it was a really savvy move to kind of say, and Jeff makes this comment at one point. He's like, although this is season 41, I kind of think of it where like you drop the four and this is really season one. And in those moments you felt, I really appreciated the production was like, let's make some choices outside of just changes in the game itself but in terms of like how we present the game to our audience. And I thought that was one of the most obvious instances from the outset. And so I really just thought it was neat to see, you know, I think for so many of us, we're wondering how do they film this show? Like literally, like how mm -hmm. do we never see cameras? And so to see that barge pulled pulled up next to, to the boat that they were all marooned on was just an example of like, oh, that's where the crew is. Hey, this show that I've been watching for however many years, however many seasons, and I had no idea how the sauce was made. Now here we are 21 years later, and here's a little bit of insight into that sauce. I thought that was a really smart choice. Yeah, I really, really loved it. It felt very sort of meta to me, like mm -hmm. Survivor is reality TV and we see them on a beach and we see them on ships and we see them in challenges and it's really easy to imagine the cameras not being there, but to see them and to see the scope of production that goes into making this show is like reality, reality TV, right? Yes. I love that. One, one thing though, I will say just going back a hair that... I think is this is like my biggest complaint with the episode and I have very few. Um, I was so excited when they did the big zoom out of Jeff before the marooning. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to get the theme song. And I was mm. like, we're going to get the old title card. I was like, they're just, we haven't heard it in so long, not just because the show no longer features it, but you know, just the show had been off the air for a long time. I thought it would have been just such an exciting moment to introduce us to this new cast, but also sort of tip its hat to not only like Survivor Past, but the fact that like even non-fans of this show know this theme song. The theme song transcends the show. And I like, they gave us those like in, in, intro chords to it. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. But my boyfriend and I literally looked at each other. We're like, we're shaking. It's so sad. <laughs> um, and, then it, and then it did not happen. So that I just want to say, it was like, I really, really was hoping for the theme song and we did not get it. I know, especially in a two-hour premiere. I mean, we can find time, and it would have been so epic, and they didn't do it. And the tease was just like, oh, Ugh. what a tease. Okay, well, we didn't get it. And I don't think we're getting it. I think uh, no, it's okay. a thing of the past, right? Like, <laughs> definitely uh, seems not. So, whatever. And it's frustrating, too, because it's serviceable, right? Like, at this at this point in the game, you're learning 18 different castaways, faces, names, tribes, etc. So I just think there's some utility to the theme song as a viewer mm -hmm. in the sense of like getting a sense of who's who. So I think if anything, I get like not needing to include it in every episode, sure. But I think for a premiere and, you know, given the two hour premiere of it all, and just for nostalgia's sake, it would have been awesome. But coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah. So... We see the tribes coming in on three separate sort of like speed boats. So they're coming in as tribes and we're getting little snippets uh, from each of them, uh, players on each tribe. These speed boats are taking the contestants to a cargo ship to meet Jeff for the marooning where then they will get in other boats. So we've got three boats going on here in the marooning. Boats on boats on boats. Yeah. yeah. So... They get to this cargo ship, they meet Jeff, and this is where we have the first big discussion. And it's around the phrase, come on in guys, which is 
traditionally the phrase that Jeff uses to welcome players into the challenge arena in each episode. Uh, I mean, it is, I guess, I don't want to use the word iconic, but it's one of Jeff's iconic phrases. Uh, one of many. It's certainly not his I most was iconic. Say, yeah, like it's like the, his. Yeah. It's like his fifth or sixth most iconic phrase. Right. And and, uh, and not that unique to the game of Survivor in the sense of like you can take it out of context and have it be completely without meaning in the way that some of his other isms are so Survivor specific. Absolutely. So what Jeff does is he asks the players if they are comfortable or what their thoughts are on him continuing to say come on in guys with emphasis on guys so is that language dated and should he continue to use it and what we have in the episode i'm sure more people spoke up on it in the moment but what we have in the episode is evie speaking up and Evie says, as a queer woman, and of course, Evie, since the show has filmed, has come out as non-binary. Evie's pronouns are she, they. Uh, in the show, I think everybody refers to Evie as she uh, because she only just came out recently as non-binary. So Evie speaks up and says, as a queer woman, you know, I see the tradition in come on in guys and I'm fine with that. And we see everybody sort of like nod along. It's a moment where you sort of feel tension because I think nobody really wants to speak up in this moment because no matter where you're falling, you don't know where your tribe mates are falling on this right. issue. And it's not a, maybe it's not the hill for them to die on in the game. Right. Uh, what did you think of this discussion? Well, also, it's kind of framed as though the discussion's bigger than just guys, because it's basically like, hey, here's this tenet of the show, and who's okay with changing that, right? And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are digging their nails in on this one, less out of like the discourse around guys, and more out of like, wait, I like my show that I know and love this way. I don't want it to change. Um, I definitely think this is like the headline of the episode. I think that if you're not here to talk about strategy or, or gameplay, what have you, this is the moment without question. And, and it happens twice for a reason, which we'll get to. I love this. I had a very like audible, if you ask my boyfriend, but I had a very, very like large response to this because I thought it was really exciting to watch the show acknowledging an issue that is pervasive within the show that has been discussed on the show a little bit. Um, but I think that there are, you know, and I'm sure we'll do an episode down the line. There are huge issues around <laughs> gender on this show. It's something that Jeff did a recent profile in the New York Times written by Brennan Carley uh, in which he addressed this, right? And he, he talks about the fact that this has been something that's been brought to his attention for a long time. He even, you know, owns the fact that he often refers to male can, uh, male players by their last name alone, never female players, like Cochran, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's exciting the fact that I have to imagine that Jeff wanted to make sure that this was something that addre- that was addressed on the show. He even references the audience, uh, you know, at, at one point during it, saying, you know, if you have an issue with this, tweet me. Here's my handle. I'm not going to check it. Um, which just kind of intimates that Jeff is very aware of the conversations going on and is willing to engage in the conversations around them, which I think is, to Jeff's credit, I think is huge. Not to deviate too much, but there was an issue on Drag Race with, um, uh, what was it, Ladies Start Your start your Engines or... Um, 
May the best woman May the win. best woman win, right? But there was also one from way earlier on, too. Oh, you've got she-male. Yeah. Anyway, there have been issues on the show that have happened in the past with Drag Race, and their response to it is just to take it out of the show. And so I really value Jeff opening the floor up here. But I do want to point out the fact that when you have a cast that's 50% male identifying, and then you add props into the mix, the majority of the people engaging in this conversation are guys, air quotes, guys. So I think that it's putting a burden on the people that feel any kind of way about it, specifically the women, right? Because they are the ones being discluded from this sort of nomenclature. I think it puts a burden on them to sort of speak out. And as you mentioned, this is the first impression that they're going to make. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if like the forum of like, let's have this discussion and let's have it from the outset is necessarily going to give us the most productive result by way of discourse but i think just to have the show talking about this in the season premiere episode i think not for nothing i think it's a big deal yeah sorry that was long no no i i agree and you know what it's gonna come back so we'll have an opportunity to talk more about it great uh (laughs) i'm already (laughs) tired of the discourse around this which is taken up by you know the awful uh, I shouldn't say I'm tired of the discourse around this because, you know, it it gets to a bigger issue uh, both societally and, and with Survivor. But I am tired of the kinds of people who are talking about this online and the loud voices of Survivor fans online who feel that their show is absolutely destroyed. And it's like, this is this is not a big deal for not at the, all the show. Do you know what I mean? And yet it signals a big deal for where the show may be moving. Right. And also, you know, we were just saying this, like, this is not one of the bigger phrases on the show, but like where we landed on this, which we'll get to, but like, come on in, everybody. It's super simple. Like there are- Come on uh, in. Yeah, come. Yeah, I mean, yes, but but even so, it's just the idea that this is sort of like something that we really need to not over this particular instance. Mm-hmm. It's like let's unpack some of the issues in which men are at an advantage in this game. Um, this I don't think is one of them, yeah. but again, I think it's important that as we this can hopefully facilitate larger discussions to be had down the line about gender and survivor. So. And I think the fact that, yes, there are going to be loud voices of dissent on social media about this, but I think there are a lot of people that are going to feel seen by this conversation or just appreciate it even being had that are going to be less vocal on the internet. And so I think this was, I think it was major. And I really, really tip my hat to Jeff and the producers for allowing this to have so much airtime and and take up so much space on the show and from the outset. Yeah, totally. So let's put a pin on in this because it will be coming back a little later in the episode. So we get to our first challenge. Uh, Jeff explains to the tribes that they are not going to be given rice. They are not going to be given supplies. They are going to have to work for anything that they earn. And here's their first chance. One tribe will win basic supplies, which I believe include a flint, a machete, and a pot. Uh, But those things are not going to be permanent. They may risk losing them in the future. Can I ask you a question about this? Mm -hmm. So having binge watched all these seasons, I feel like there are a lot of seasons 
where they are given nothing at yeah. the outset. Yeah. And yet this was really made to seem in both the preseason and then obviously in the premiere as though this is an unprecedented move. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like, do you know truly how unprecedented it is to have no supplies at the outset? I mean, it's it's not unprecedented. We have seen it before. I can't think of the seasons off the top of my head, but certainly like a handful of seasons. And you know what? What really struck me watching this episode was that part of the supplies that they can earn on day one are a flint. Like a flint? That is such a big deal to get right. fire on day one. So I actually felt that was like almost going a little too far in terms of giving them stuff. But of course, it's only going to be one tribe, at least at this point. And we'll get to what happens with the other tribes a little down the line. But I actually think that they were... I think they were given too much. Like I, I, I get that they don't have a food staple, but Flint on day one. Ooh, okay. Uh, so, you know, we get to the challenge. The challenge is uh, finding six oars hidden around the cargo ship, throwing them overboard, getting into a little boat, uh, boating around a buoy, and coming back to retrieve your Flint at the cargo ship. This is an absolute upset by Ua. They are far ahead uh, in the challenge throughout. Uh, Yasa can't even find their six ore until after the challenge is over. So they don't even get off of the cargo ship, aside from Tiffany, uh, who jumps into the water. We love Tiffany. And Luvu does get into their boat and is rowing and rowing and rowing for the entire challenge and not moving because they forgot to unclip the back of their boat. And I mean, I usually don't love to see a challenge this early in an episode. Uh, I feel like I don't know these people yet. I don't really have stakes in this. I have nobody that I'm rooting for. But I will say what I appreciated about this challenge was watching Luvu paddle nowhere for a very long time like I found that to be a very like funny and like charming way to start the episode especially because we didn't know that they had the clip in until after the challenge so in our minds as viewers were just like is this tribe truly inept and as it turns out yes but not for the ways we thought well there was this shot there was a shot uh from higher up uh, like an aerial shot of them in their boat and you could see the line and that's when I realized like oh they're still clipped in and they have no idea uh I I just loved that that's like a classic survivor moment to me like anybody could have happened to anybody they just fucked up they missed the instructions and uh here they are paddling nowhere I do think it's worth noting though that like this was obviously such a blowout and I think that as much as we like the term blowout because it like implies like this tribe got decimated. It's actually not so interesting to watch a blowout in real time mm -hmm. because once Ua sort of broke away from the other two tribes and then you have the one tribe that hasn't even left the boat, uh, excuse me, the first boat, right? There's several boats here. Um, but at that point, it's so inevitable. There was that small moment that I caught where when Ua got to the flint, um, they didn't quite know how to get it off of the thing and Jeff's like, just grab it and pull because yeah. at that point, it's like <laughs> Jeff didn't want to wait and watch them try and figure it out because it was such a blowout at that point it became very evident that they were going to win because there's no puzzle at the end there's no way to catch up so 
I did like having the challenge from the outset because there was this clear frenetic energy on that boat that was a combination of like new season of Survivor and people that have been quarantined for a long time and not interacted with other other human beings that they, that they didn't know that I think it was good to just sort of like give everyone an opportunity just to like let that all out. I think that definitely helped everyone realize that they're playing Survivor. You know what I mean? Like that like mm-hmm. anything, anything and everything can and will happen. But I think that the actual design of the challenge itself just was not ideal in that you want something that's a little bit more of a nail biter, you know, to get a sense of like, you know, which tribe is really a threat here. And it's like the one tribe can't even find the ore, which I don't think is giving us a lot of intel about how they're going to perform down the line, because, I mean, that could have happened to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, uh, Stephen Fishback pointed out on Twitter that that the Yasa tribe is yellow and their ore is yellow and the whole cargo ship was yellow. So the fact that they couldn't find their ore, I don't think really reflects that badly upon them. Agreed. Like One they had a harder mo- time finding it than any other tribe because it blended yeah. in more. One other small moment that happened during this challenge that I absolutely loved was that one of the the members of the, what's the name of the yellow tribe? Sorry. Yasa. Yasa. So one of the members of Yasa is looking for the ore and Jeff is standing in this one part of the boat, kind of like commentating on the challenge from overhead. And the Yasa tribe member goes up and tries to find the orb around or why do I keep saying orb? <laughs> or around where Jeff is standing and Jeff's like, you're not going to find anything up here. And it was just funny to watch Jeff break the character of challenge commentator that he goes into for a moment and actually like step back into the game itself. I just thought it was like such a reminder of, you know, we make fun of Jeff a lot, but like he definitely, as much as I don't love commentator Jeff, it definitely is like a character that he has finessed so well. So it was just fun, again, talking about these break the fourth wall moments to watch him sort of like fall out real quick and be like, oh, wait, I'm talking to the audience right now, but I have to step back and talk to one of the tribe members. I thought that was a funny moment because, like, typically I would hate when Jeff gets involved in a challenge. Like, to tell somebody it's not here, like, that person could waste a lot of time looking in that area, which is significant in their performance in the challenge. But for him to just be like, you know, he's watching this challenge unfold. It's clear Yasa's never going to catch up. And for him to just do like a funny, like, don't bother. It's not here. I thought it was cute. Chef's guess. Okay. So, of course, Uo wins the uh, flint and other supplies. And we see the tribes return to camp. Uo's super excited. Uh, I think we see uh, Brad at Uo, our cattle rancher from Wyoming try to make a fire using the flint and sweating it out. Uh, And JD steps in and is like, I practiced this before coming on Survivor and starts fire immediately. And it's clear JD is going to be a big presence, both in the premiere and potentially in the game. Mm -hmm. I do want to point out, because we're we're mentioning this right now, Brad and JD uh, both share some distinctions in this episode. So with the least amount of confessionals of anyone in the premiere, Brad is tied with Heather at having one. And in contrast, with the most confessionals by a long shot is JD with 11. I don't think this necessarily dictates anything about like where the season is going to go, mm-hmm. but not for nothing. There's a huge disparity between one confessional and 11. So if nothing else, it's clear that JD is going to be a large presence on the show. Who's to say for how long? But this edit was very, very JD-centric. And considering that you're getting to know 18 new players, we got a lot of JD. 
And it wasn't, the thing is, it some of it was very positive and some of it was very negative. So JD's getting an interesting edit here. But let's jump over to the other camps to talk about the uh, dilemma they faced. So Luvu and Yasa come back to camp with no supplies. They are met with a choice. Uh, they are going to have to complete a timed challenge. I think they have four hours to complete the challenge. And... Uh, they can either choose a challenge that uh, tests their savvy or a challenge that tests their sweat. I would call this a brain versus brawn challenge. So the savvy challenge is to count up uh, a whole bunch of triangles. So it's one of those puzzles where there's um, many, many, many lines within one big triangle and they would have to count all of the triangles in the diagram and they get one guess as to the number of triangles that are depicted. So if they do that, they can play as an entire tribe. If they choose the sweat challenge, that involves them uh, filling up two large barrels with ocean water using essentially like cooking pots to transfer the water from the ocean to the barrels. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to take many hours to do and only two members of the tribe can participate. So what we see is the Luvu and Yasa tribes both choose the sweat option. Evan, which option are you choosing? I'm choosing the triangle and I'm so surprised that we didn't at least get one tribe, if not both, because first of all, I don't know how hard the triangle challenge really would be. And maybe I'm underestimating the difficulty level. But the other thing that I find, well, a couple of things, one, just less physical labor having to, you know, transfer water in the hot sun. No one has to be separated from the tribe. And if you lose, you lose as a tribe. And being that both of these tribes just experienced tribal loss, I don't think it would be some sort of like huge blow to their egos being that they have already lost collecti collectively together. So I was surprised that Voce, who was the one voice of like, let's do the triangles, was seen as sort of the outlier when I was like, no, 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 no. He's totally right. Like, why are we not working together to do a puzzle? I don't know. What about you? I, I was super, I, super surprised. I'm surprised you're saying this because I think the triangles is, it's a, it's a trick. It's a total trap that they could fall into because they only get one guess. Like, have you ever done one of these? I mean, I see them like, like on Facebook all the time. It's like, how many squares are in this picture? And it's like, you know, there's always a trick and you're like, I think I've got it, but there's something I'm missing. And this triangle looked really complicated. Like there was a lot of lines and to only get one guess is kind of wild. And also my immediate thought was, okay, the entire tribe would be working counting these triangles. Like this is a recipe for disaster. People are going to get mad at each other. They're going to be arguing. There's going to be a lot of interpersonal conflict. Whereas the majority can volunteer their tribe mates to do the sweat challenge and just get it done. I mean, it's totally doable. It's going to be a lot of work, but we're basically guaranteed a machete, which we need to build shelter, a flint, which we need for fire, and a cooking pot that we need to boil water. It's kind of a no-brainer for me. You have to do the sweat. And because only two people are doing it, those two people don't even have to agree to do it, like Voce, right? They can just be told to do it. 
Right. But I guess, yes, I agree. Like it's a big risk with the one guess, but in my mind, it's like you kind of get six guesses in the sense that you can keep counting until all six of you are seeing the same amount. Like there is a little bit, mm. yes, it's ultimately one guess, but there's some padding there in the sense that like, let's say five people see one number and you see it as being a different number. You can probably say the five people that are seeing the same number are probably on a better course than you are. So yes, I, I, I hear your logic. I just was surprised. Again, to me, it's like I, I would have expected, especially being that, they're new here. It just seems like the easier, less conflict-ridden uh, option, especially being that you know you're gonna deal with tribal separation here. I was surprised that they allowed the two that were gathering the water to do it together. I guess maybe that's not that surprising now that I'm saying it out loud. But I, I, my initial understanding was that they were going to be like separated. That this was going mm. to be more of like a quarantined assignment, and that really you because basically. As much as you're away from the tribe, you have an opportunity to cut a final two with someone and yeah. the shared bonding experience of having done this like hard task together. So I found there to be a lot of advantages to participating in the water gathering and they kind of framed it as, oh, you got to be away from the tribe and the worst thing that can happen is being away from the tribe. But I found what later happened when one member of the tribe left, that to me is a way more of a red flag than... Yeah being separated with one other person. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, it's a little bit win-win. It's win for the people right. participating and win for the four not participating. Uh, and that the the true winner will only shake out at tribal council, I think. So yeah, this was interesting. I sort of like didn't need a challenge right after a challenge, but it was nice that this challenge got mixed in with camp life. And a good example of that is over at the Lufu tribe, the blue tribe. Danny and Deshaun are retrieving the water and they figure that they have plenty of time to fill these barrels. They're two strong guys. And so they take a break to look for hidden immunity idols. Now, back with the four at camp who were not participating in the challenge, Nasir goes over to the tribe and says, you know what, guys, we're not going to strategize. No strategizing until Danny and Deshaun are done, which very noble thing to do, little ballsy. I don't think I would do it myself, uh, but that's what he says. And then he goes to check on the guys and how they're doing. And he sees them looking for idols. He sees them idol hunting and they don't know he's seen them. And so now he's like, well, you know what I said about not strategizing? Forget it. They're looking for idols. And so we see him and Sydney and Erica uh, talking about how they cannot trust Danny and Deshaun. Okay, I have a question. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was able to see them idol hunting mm -hmm. means he was able to get close enough to them to mm -hmm. witness this. And my understanding was that part of the reason, part of the risk of this you know, accepting this this fate versus the triangles was the tribal separation. And so in theory, how close could he get? And like, could they have gone and just like hung out with them for moral support? Like, I guess I had confusion. My sense was that it was just supposed to be really isolated. So that was strange to me. One, and two, if you're Nasir, uh, who I think we maybe overestimated his gameplay in our uh, in our initial <laughs> conversation about the season, but if anything, it's like, strategically, 
lead your fellow tribe mates to your conclusion by showing them not telling them so it's kind of like if i see that they're looking for idols which is worth calling out like that's like that's a they're making a very ballsy move and and if you witnessed it you should let others know but it's sort of how you do it that's important and so if he was able to see it in plain sight bring them down to the water and say look i just caught them doing this and so they see it for themselves i just think his sort of like again um no strategy no strategy talk and then no one's talking about strategy and then here he is being like strategy strategy of course you're gonna look weird i i just felt like the lack of self-awareness there was uh, not shocking, but like kind of a, a not a good not a good move for him. So yeah, yeah. But again, were you, did you think it was weird that he was able to go and just watch them? I did, and I didn't have a sense looking at the scene of where he was versus where they were. I suspect he must have been down the beach, like he just kind of walked down from the camp area and could see where they were because it's a straight enough beach. Uh, but yeah, I definitely thought that was strange because I had, I had the same thought that they had to be separated. Um, but either way, he either didn't see them on the trail where they were to be getting the water from, or he actually saw them in the bushes. We never saw them together. So I assume he was further away. And not that we've never gotten idols near the water. I think about like brains versus brawn versus beauty, for instance, but more often than not, I thought it was strange that they would be like, they would think that they were in a... I guess maybe you think because this is such an unprecedented challenge. Okay, yeah. so I, I can yeah. see it, but... I, I, I think still... it's that. I think they thought, okay, we've been chosen to do this challenge as a minority of our tribe, and there may be some advantage hidden in this. So, yeah, okay, I can understand that. My big question with this whole scene, where was Heather? You know, we're talking know. about we're talking about this being the rest that Nasir went to the rest of the tribe, but he did not go to the rest of the tribe. He went to two other members of the tribe. We were missing Heather. And as I said earlier, of the two people to get one confessional this episode, Heather is one of them. And I just felt like there was a lack of Heather. Yeah, there was there was definitely a lack of Heather. Okay. So the next sort of big thing that we see in the episode in terms of events is the prisoner's dilemma twist. So we have another little challenge, another one. So this is our third challenge of the episode so far. And so we see a boat arrive at each camp, instructing the tribes to send one member uh, on an adventure. They don't really get any more information. So Yasa nominates Xander, uh, Danny volunteers for Luvu and Ua picks rocks and JD goes. I thought it was really interesting that Ua picked rocks sort of after seeing the social dynamics at play at the other two tribes in terms of who they were going to send uh, to see Ua do a sort of like traditional survivor style pick them was interesting. And I also thought it was interesting that JD is going. So at this point, we had kind of seen JD, I think, already make a lot of connections on his tribe. I think Ricard pointed out that he felt JD was overplaying it already a little. And JD uh, pointed out to us that he was trying to go in not super strategy heavy, but to make connections with everyone on the tribe. But I think it was maybe a little too transparent. So right. now Which JD's... Also yeah, yeah, that is super strategy heavy. <laughs> so like, yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Like, come on now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So now JD's in this position where people are already thinking he's pushing a little too hard, and now he's going off on this adventure in which he could be gaining an advantage, right? And the tribes at this point are thinking, oh, they're going to be given a choice between supplies like rice or something for the tribe and an advantage. That's very classic survivor. Uh, but what actually happens is they are taken to another island. Uh, the three uh, the three representatives of the tribes are told to hike to the top of a mountain together. Then when they get to the top of the mountain, they climb back down. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, check out the view. Yeah, and and at that point, they go their separate ways and will face uh, a, a dilemma. And, Can we pause for a moment yeah, on this, yeah. this, this section here? So I thought it was curious that when they come back, they're talking about that hike, and JD lets on to the fact that it was an hour-long hike. <clears throat> and I thought that was interesting that they kept that detail because... I think Survivor wants to make everything seem like it's the hardest thing in the world. And an hour hike is like, don't get me wrong, like that's not nothing, but it's not that grueling. And especially they were on a path, right? Like there was a there was a path carved out for them. So one, I just thought it was interesting that this was sort of framed as like they are going on this adventure together, get to know each other. It's like an hour is not a ton of time to be together. Like sure, you can get to know each other, but it's not as though they're doing like an overnight or something. And the other thing that I thought was odd was as they were up there, you wanted to sort of like lead to something that they're, they're getting up to the top and they're going to discover something. It just seemed very anticlimactic. Yeah, I also yeah. have to wonder, are they given water? They're literally, they're doing an hour long hike in the hot sun. I just question, it seems like they were given water. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have no reason to think that other than just my guess, but yeah, 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 that just occurred to me. It was like, they're really sweaty, sun's beating down on them. They're getting water. Yeah. And on this hike, we saw JD, you know, again, sort of overplay his hand, really trying to make connections with Danny and Xander. And, you know, he's asking them about their lives. And he's like, Danny, uh, are you are you a football player? And I mean, like Danny looks like a football player. So that's a fair enough question. I don't think it's that JD recognized him because we didn't get any confirmation of that. And uh, Danny lies and he says, no, I, I played football in college but that was it and i think like, Zan why? yeah i think xander's also playing down his athleticism because they asked him as well and he was like ah eh, no no i like to run uh but i think he's like some somewhat of a competitive runner what's so odd about this is in guatemala when we had gary hogaboom lie about the fact that he was a former nfl player it not only came out, but it became a sort. It became a problem for him that he had planted mm. this lie. And in contrast, you take someone like Mike White in David versus Goliath, who was forthright, forthright with his identity from the outset, and that never played any factor yeah. against him at all. If nothing, he came very, very close to himself winning, despite the fact that he made it clear that. Not only, like, not only did he have success outside of this game, he had a, more money than anyone in the game. So I just think it's odd in 41 seasons to see people still using their professional selves as a liability. I understand in the case of Evie, maybe not wanting to let people on to just how smart you are because I think people can see, I can see that being a way in which people target you. But like, being a former NFL player, I do not think revealing that to your tribe puts any kind of target on you at all. Okay, see, I disagree because mm. I think it does. I think it does. And I thought that this was a really smart move from Danny. I was very impressed with Danny in this episode. Uh, I think that Danny really 
played it smart throughout the entire episode. I think that at this point, if nobody on his tribe has approached him about being an NFL player and JD brings it up but is not assertive about it and Xander hasn't said anything, it's maybe safe for Danny to assume that no one on the cast has recognized him. And if so, why bring up the fact that you have a lot of money and are potentially super, super athletic? I mean, he already looks athletic, but like if I knew that there was an NFL player on my cast, I would be gunning for them 100%. Hmm. So I actually thought this was smart. And to Danny's credit, the like lie, because it's kind of not even a lie. What he came up with was that he's, I believe, a youth football coach, right? That's where Mm -hmm. we landed. Yeah, which is which is ultra savvy because it's giving him it, it sort of lends itself to people asking less questions. If he finds himself in a situation where people suddenly start asking a lot about how do you know so much about football, blah, blah, blah. It's like he he gave himself a little bit of an out. So yeah. I don't disagree. I think it was savvy. I guess I just, I'm less less talking about Danny though than I am just with like Xander, the other ones. I just find it odd in situations the way people build up lies because I feel like more often than not the lie does more damage than just being straight up about the truth. But to your point, I understand the NFL thing is kind of doubly complex in that it comes with physical prowess and money. So there's sort of, in that sense, there could be almost a double target versus like a Mike White where it's like, well, he's got a lot of money, but he's not going to be a physical threat. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the dilemma they actually face. Before they split up, they sort of they sort of agree that whatever dilemma they're going to face, they're going to try to help each other and, and sort of have this very loose alliance to each other in the game. I think they were, I think that Xander and Danny in, at this point were appeasing JD because he was pushing for this. Right. And this is a missed opportunity, but I think it, it didn't happen because of JD's energy was a little too fr- like frantic. But, you know, we've seen forming these cross-tribal alliances this early can be super smart, especially in anticipating a uh, tribe swap and then eventually the merge. And I didn't feel like they like sort of clinched on that opportunity, but I think because JD seemed a little, was just a little trying a little too hard, I don't think they were able to secure something, but it would have been a really great move, and I think it would have happened had different players been selected to either, if not make a final three, just make some sort of, I'm looking out for you, I'm looking out for you, I'll, any information I have, you know, there's ways in which they could have used this time with other tribe members to their advantage that they certainly did not. Yeah, it reminds me of Token Chains where mm-hmm. you had Taj and Brandon uh, and their Exile Alliance and they started pulling in other people from their respective tribes. And of course that didn't work out, but it was a brilliant idea, I thought. Yes. So this is the dilemma they face. Each of them goes to a wheel and one side of the wheel says protect your vote and the other side of the wheel says risk your vote. So if all three players choose to protect their vote, nothing changes. They vote at their next tribal council as normal. If all three players choose to risk their vote, they all lose their vote at the next tribal that they attend. Now, if they do not choose unanimously, those who risk their vote will gain an extra vote that can be used through to the final six vote. Those who protect keep their vote but don't get an extra vote. And so this is like a simplified version of the prisoner's dilemma. 
I think that this is really interesting, but way too complex of a twist for episode one. Like that was my impression. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got these rules really quickly. I don't understand. And we didn't see what everyone chose, which I understand, you know, in retrospect was to keep us guessing at what they chose. But like the rules were, I think, too complex. How did you feel about this? Oh, I agree. It's funny. Until you just laid it out right now, I did not understand it. I I kid you not. It was so complex. In defense of it, I think that being that they had to then go back to their tribe and reiterate this nonsense was (laughs) sort of a cool twist in that even if they were to go back to their tribe and tell them the truth, the challenge or whatever you want to call it this advantage was so convoluted by design that even telling the truth just seems suspect because of how complicated it was so i kind of liked that aspect of my like i feel like had i been one of the tribe members staying back at camp and and then you know this person returned and and explained this and laid it out to me no matter what i would have been like they're lying just because i'd be like survivor would never make something this complicated so i kind of liked that aspect of it but yeah i had no idea what was going on and coming off of you know we had the challenge on the boat and then we have them coming back and filling up the water it it was it was a lot for a premiere episode i don't think it was a flop and i definitely think you know we'll see two people got you know extra votes that we're gonna see used down the line But yeah, it definitely was, I was like scratching my head. And it's one of those moments where I spend so many later seasons out of the scene watching because I'm in my head trying to untangle my lack of understanding. So, and those, those moments have happened several times on the show. So I could have used something a little bit more simple for my smooth brain, but I think it, it it ultimately, it worked out in the end. It's interesting that you say that the explanation to the tribe would make the tribe suspicious because actually what we saw, particularly with Danny, I thought, again, Danny did a great job. Danny chose to protect his vote so he would not be getting an advantage and he would not be losing his vote. He came back to his tribe and very eloquently described the rules of the game and exactly what went down. And Uh, because he had all of the details right and he's clearly a good storyteller I think we saw Heather say you know what there's this is way too convoluted to not be true it has to be true and so you know I think that worked in his favor and then you had Xander at the Yasa tribe and we don't know what Xander's chosen at this point and he's telling his tribe all the rules and then he says okay so I risked my vote Therefore, we as a tribe have an extra vote. Uh, That also was really clever. And we saw Evie react to this and say, this is great news for the tribe. So clearly she bought it. But I thought that was very see-through. I thought his pitching of this as not an advantage for Xander, but an advantage for Yasa was like, no. If I walked away from that conversation, I would be like, Xander has an extra vote. We've got to get rid of Xander. I had the exact same thought, and I was so surprised that they weren't able to get a confessional with anyone saying just that. Because usually it's like, you need that person in the confessional to lay out the dissent, like, you know, to explain, as you just said. And I keep, I'm always trying to watch this show with fresh eyes, and I was like, for 
people that have never seen the show before, they wouldn't realize the fact that what he did was super ballsy. They would think, oh, he was being really honest and, and, do, and being forthright. And it's like, uh, I didn't see it that way at all. I saw it exactly how you saw it. And we didn't, at least it was not verbalized to us that anyone else saw it that way. Yeah, he gave himself an advantage. And then he mentioned the tribe swap. And it's like, how that would only, again, help him. Yeah, I thought it was odd, but credit to him for successfully laying this out to his tribe and having it not be questioned. Because I feel like if if it was, they would have shown us. Yeah, yeah. The other funny thing about Xander was that when he was actually making the decision, we got this confessional from him where he said something like, the biggest decisions in history have been made using eeny, meeny, miny, mo." Which, like, <laughs> I don't think that's true. And also, it was giving me bad flashbacks to Lisi and Fiji. Mm. <laughs> Although, I mean, from Borneo on, we have had very strange uh, manners of choosing choosing fates in this show. So, I, I mean, But I didn't think he was talking about Survivor right, it's history. Like, I think oh, he I meant see. history, history. Yeah, maybe, yeah, I yeah. Her, maybe I misread that. No, no, no. I'm leaning towards your way of thinking from what I know of Xander. Xander's like, Xander's a smart guy, clearly, but he gives big himbo energy. I was going to say, I actually don't think he gives himbo. Really? I, I, I was anticipating more himboness from him. And I felt like, again, com- with his sort of devising this plan to bring back to the tribe, I was like, that's very non-himbo, like sort of strategizing. So I sort of think I wrote him off as a himbo and I love a himbo. So I don't know. Let's let's keep <laughs> watch on this. Yeah, I am curious. Yeah. But for people listening right now, like, are you seeing Xander more as a himbo or do you feel like there's a little bit more substance let us know yeah we'll see so finally at the ua tribe jd is telling his tribe mates about the dilemma he tells them that he chose to protect his vote and people aren't buying it so ricard says in a confessional that jd just came back from his fun little adventure and i don't believe shit he just said so uh or fuck all that he said i don't know they bleeped it but uh, Xander's not buying it. Xander's been suspicious of JD from the start of the episode. I think that's been setting up a, a little battle between Xander and Ricard. Uh, and of course, we will see later that uh, JD was in fact lying. Uh, he chose to risk his vote and therefore gained an extra vote for himself that will be kept a secret, I guess, until he reveals it to somebody. Okay, would you want to say anything about that? I just think that this is, you know, like there are times when it's like tribal division rears itself really early on. I felt like a lot of people on this tribe um, outside of Shan were not playing the best game in that if I were Ricard in this instance, I would make sure to cozy up to JD and at least create like the farce that we, we seem like unlikely friends in this game, so let's let's take this further, especially because I think JD is impressionable and would have gone with that. So I felt like the ways in which Sarah and Ricard were making their, particularly Ricard, their disdain for JD so obvious, I thought was a missed opportunity to, I'm always of the mindset of like, find the person that you have the most friction with, acknowledge said friction and cozy up to them especially at this venture i just feel like this was very much a tribe divided as would later play out in tribal council and i felt like in the beginning you need to sort of work together to find more areas of unity 
Yeah, I sort of wonder whether Ricard is approaching this. I think we've seen at this point that Ricard is starting to cozy up to Shan, Sarah, and then you have JD. You know, like he's he's, uh, relating to the women on the tribe, which I think if I'm putting myself in his shoes as a gay man, I can see why. And then you have a young kind of bro-y straight guy he's probably not really wanting to work with or spend a lot of time with this person because of his experience with straight people in real life right um and then you know i don't know where genie fits into this but you know she's probably much less threatening i mean genie is the invisible queen of this episode right But Jeannie, who threw a vote at Ricard. Uh-huh, so it's interesting. Uh-huh. I think I mentioned this in the pre-show, and may, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that Jeannie and Ricard were going to potentially team up as two queer people of color, uh, and that did not play out. In fact, she threw a vote at Ricard for no reason at all, because Ricard had no <laughs> other votes. So it almost seemed extra vindictive. But anyway, yeah, more on that yeah, later. Yeah, we will get to that. So let's go to the immunity challenge on day three. So... First of all, the schedule that I predicted in our right. preseason episode is thrown out the window, which I love. So when they did that first challenge for getting the flint and two tribes lost, I said out loud, I bet you two tribes who don't win immunity are going to tribal. And I was right. So just for the record. <laughs> so on day three, Come on in, guys. Jeff welcomes the tribe to the Immunity Challenge Arena. And the first thing that happens is Ricard speaks up and says, Hey, Jeff, the come on in, guys. I uh, didn't feel comfortable speaking up on day one. I was just getting into this game. I was discombobulated. My hair was a mess. I didn't feel comfortable speaking up. I've sat on this for two days, I've thought about it, and I would feel bad about myself if I didn't voice my opinion that I think we can drop the guys in this situation. And we didn't get a lot of uh, input from other players, but we did sort of see shots of people who, to me, looked like they were respecting Ricard, particularly Evie and Erica. Um, Jeff was beaming. Like, this is exactly what Jeff wanted. In fact, Jeff says, I want to change it. I and, and it's like it pitched as though Jeff just needed somebody to agree with him, which in some ways I feel like Jeff's throwing a player under the bus here. I think Jeff and production know how this is going to be received by their toxic fans. And... If Jeff really wants to change it, Jeff can change it. Jeff doesn't need the permission of Ricard to change this line. Jeff could have changed it and said nothing. And probably most people wouldn't even notice. Uh, But all of that aside, I think it was uh, pretty courageous of Ricard to step up here and say what he said and sort of expose that Jeff wanted to change it all along. What did you think of this exchange? Well, I just want to point out, yeah, I, I kind of disagree with you in the sense that, well, first of all, I, I agree, completely courageous of Ricard, but I feel like I don't see it as Jeff throwing anyone under the bus because if Jeff, I think if Jeff had that tactic in mind, he wouldn't have come in and said, I wanted to change it too. He would have been like, oh, well, then we're going to change it because there's been pushback from player. I felt like he was actually sort of extending an arm in that situation and saying, oh, you feel this way? So do I. I'm so glad somebody else said it. Um, 
Yeah, but, I should say, I should say, I don't mean that they premeditatingly threw somebody under mm. the bus. I think in retrospect, uh, seeing the response and the response that Ricard is getting. And uh, like Ricard made a post on social media today showing like a death threat that he's gotten for it. And it's, it's just like so, so overblown, the reaction to this. Uh, and I feel like it's now being put on Ricard for being the one to speak up. But again, I just have to say in this instance, the detractors are going to be a lot louder Mm -hmm. on social media than those in agreement. And I have to think there are a lot of people like myself that are really, and even you, as you articulated by calling it courageous, that look at this, that look at this, um, him speaking out in this situation and saying this is a really great thing. So I just think it's really important to always keep in mind that trolls are loud for a reason. um, And when they are fed through response, they are incentivized to be loud. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was just a tremendous moment. I I am curious, and hopefully we'll talk to Ricard at some point down the line. Part of me feels like this was sort of mm, stoked by field producers. I can imagine Ricard sort of being in a confessional and them asking, them being the field producers, how he feels about what had happened. And I could kind of see them helping brew this so that it came up again because as you mentioned there was a delight that jeff had in revisiting this conversation which i don't think is a bad thing you know it's like it's an important conversation to have so better he delight in it than seem put off by it but it did feel a little bit like this was not planned but that they were very very uh gleeful at the concept of bringing this back up but Again, I just want to point out, I feel like it's just not, of all of the issues with gender within the show, to me, I just was surprised that this was the one that we were going to make a thing. But I'm glad we made it a thing. I'm glad it's changing. And I think if nothing else, it just signals to viewers of this show that have ever felt discluded. And that and that's a swath of people, right? Um, it just signals an awareness from production and a willingness to want to engage with people that feel um, discluded. And so I think this is totally a net positive. And I think the impact on the game itself is so minuscule that those that really have their panties in a twist over this really need to ask themselves uh, what they're really mad about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's come on in from now on, Jeff says, and I think that's great. So Jeff also introduces another twist to the game, a brand new twist called the Shot in the Dark. So in this twist, each player in the game gets a die that they can use one time throughout the game, and they use it in private at Tribal Council in the voting booth, where if they feel like they're in danger... They can forfeit their vote, play their die, reach into an urn or a bag or something with a a parchment on it, and they have a one in six chance of gaining safety slash immunity at that tribal council. So it's always a one in six chance. The die itself, so when, when it originally happened, I thought, oh, they roll the die, but no, they just like, they trade the die in for an opportunity to stick their hand in a bag. Uh, so that's fine. What do you think of the shot in the dark? Not necessary. I get the idea behind it of like, here's this Hail Mary for a player. 
but I just feel like ultimately if you if your strategizing was such that you found yourself in the chopping block and you weren't winning immunities and you weren't able to find idols, I feel like that's how the game works and you got to go. And I just feel like the because it's a what 16.777% chance that you would find your way back into the game I just don't think it's going to give the drama because more likely you're still going to go home Mm -hmm. so I guess yes there is that small percentage that this could completely disrupt the game I think there's enough in the game right now that is disruptive um, that this just feels complicated for complicated sake yeah, yeah. So there was a twist similar to this on Australian Survivor this season. Uh, it was, I think it was called something like the Safety Scroll. And there were, I think, four or five urns. And at some point in the game, they were just in play. And one of the urns had a, had a scroll on it that said safe. And after you were voted out, you picked one of the urns to smash. And if you had the safety scroll in it, you were actually staying that night and going back to camp and nobody was going home. Uh, so this very much reminded me of that, except that every single person has an opportunity to do it uh, throughout the game at least once. This feels to me, there's been discussion in the past. I remember Survivor Historians talking about this in one of their Q&A episodes, uh, speculating that there may be a season where every player is given a hidden immunity idol on day one that they can use once in the game. We are approaching that concept with this, right? Everybody's got one shot uh, where if they feel super unsafe, they can they can try their luck. Um, and if you're in a situation uh, like, like, for example, Abraham tonight, uh, where had he gotten wind that there was going to be a unanimous vote against him his vote doesn't matter so you might as well take your shot but in some ways i feel like this is forcing the players even more than ever to make sure that their votes are blindsides right i also just feel like i mean obviously we'll have to re-examine this twist uh, after the fact but I feel like if this twist is not able to be successfully deployed and because the success is so out of the hands of producers because it is luck, I feel like this will either be more than likely. I think this is going to be a one and done for this season, perhaps the next season because they're filming them in succession. But I don't see this sticking around unless it is effectively used this season and effectively used in such a way that it completely upends the game. Um, Otherwise, I just don't see this being something that would stick around. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think the likelihood that this is actually going to pan out is so slim that I'm kind of surprised they've done like a one in six shot, for example. Like, why not like one in three or something? Right. It just, yeah, it's a very small percentage. Yeah. 16.67777, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the immunity challenge itself. So the challenge requires the tribes to climb over a sort of a tall net wall. Uh, we see Nasir take a hard fall uh, in slow-mo, right? So they've, they've been doing these like slow-mo shots with their cinematography. Wait, <laughs> wait I was hoping we were going to talk about this. Can yeah. We, can we deviate real quick? Sorry, we'll get back to Absolutely. Yes. Uh, it began, I believe, I think it was I with I think it Greg. happened in Marooning with Brad. Brad, excuse me. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yes, with Brad jumping in the water. But it's weird because it was neither graceful or completely graceless. <laughs> it was just kind of like, you know, it was not beautiful to watch, but like we've seen belly flops that have been way worse. 
And then we got it with Xander, I think, as well at some point. But like, yeah, yes. Yeah. And 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 we have seen attempts through the years of strange edits, like, and when I say edits, I mean like cinematography styles. I remember China specifically had them trying out some things um, that would happen like during the challenges themselves. Like there was that thing when they used to like break an mm. urn, for instance, and it would be mm -hmm. like in slow mo. Like so, yeah. I am all for it. I think it's like bizarre and like it's yeah bizarre it's is like camp. the word i would use it's yes camp. it's camp exactly <laughs> i just again i love and i appreciate whatever meeting was held in which they were like yes i feel like they were like we want to make this more uh, filmic and and epic in scope and blah, blah blah and i just love the fact that a meeting was had about this it was executed and this is the result i am all for it i thought it was so bizarre yeah a plus. yeah yeah, not to bring up Australian Survivor again, but this is what Australian Survivor does. It's so incredibly cinematic and these slow-mo, like, epic shots, which I don't know that they got an epic shot in any of their slow-mos here. I did like that one of Brad. Brad got a couple of these. Brad at camp. Uh, mm -hmm. He's, like, cutting a bamboo, a uh, piece of bamboo, <laughs> and, and it's, like, transitioning to his backstory, which, again, maybe we can divert and talk about how they're, how they're showing... Uh, home life with these people another Australian survivor um, uh, thing I think they've learned a lot from Australian survivor which is only good news and um, you know I love seeing them at home I love to get a little bit of backstory and I think it plays into the edit and the storytelling as well because you think uh, uh, oh I'm getting someone's backstory I'm worried about them I'm worried they may be going home. This is their big farewell or not like, you know, and so you're like constantly second guessing yourself. But all of these decisions are leading to a product that is, I think, narratively a little bit more interesting visually. There's something there. I think they hopefully they'll get better shots than they've gotten. But, I, I, you know, I think it's adding to the show rather than like bringing it somewhere I don't like. Without a doubt. So. In the challenge, we see Nasir slow-mo uh, uh, just like slam into the ground. What happens is, uh, so there is a track with a sled on it. The track is blocked by a whole bunch of sandbags. They, The tribes need to move the sandbags from the track onto a platform, and they need to be on the platform. Then uh, they put puzzle pieces, bags of puzzle pieces onto the sled, uh, push the sled along the track to the end, and then raise it up... Uh, a steep slope onto a puzzle making platform where they will complete the puzzle. So what we see is Yasa and Ua pull ahead in this. Luvu misplaces one of their sandbags. It falls off the platform and they actually have to redo part of their challenge, putting them in dead last, which like I thought was kind of bullshit. Like the, the platforms were so small and you would really have to stack these sandbags and it was there. It was right. It was touching, but it wasn't on. Also not for nothing. Usually Jeff would verbally tell a mm -hmm. tribe that they can move on to the next stage of a challenge. So the fact that they had started to move along and then all of a sudden clearly Jeff was tipped off by a camera person that it had happened. It's like they continued on the challenge because they thought they were in the clear. Yeah. So I actually think production needed to sort of get in there and be like, you can not advance the next stage until you get the all clear yeah yeah i agree so what we see is ua and yasa at the top of the puzzle making platform they are getting ready to make their puzzle and luvu is very far behind uh, so as the other two tribes are working on their puzzle 
Luvu finally makes it to the platform and uh, starts making their puzzle. And they come from behind in a huge way. So Erica and Deshaun are on the puzzle making for Luvu and they just like smash it. They just like complete it instantly. Ua uh, is a little bit is in trouble because they did not take all of their puzzle pieces out of their bags. So that was Sarah and Shan on the puzzle and they fucked up. Okay, I call I'm calling something here. I just don't think leaving one puzzle piece in the puzzle impacted anything. And there was like this effort to frame it as though had they gotten that single puzzle piece out of the bag, the puzzle would have completely come together. They are, this was such a big puzzle and like so physically wide that I just feel like they could have been a lot. It wasn't as though they had everything in place except for one piece. They were nowhere near complete. So I just thought that sort of like effort to frame it as though because the puzzle piece was left in the bag, that had some sort of impact Mm -hmm. on their loss. I didn't see it. That's a good point. I mean, that's a good point. We we did see them struggle with that area. They were really trying to complete that piece. And the piece that was in the bag was actually the piece they were looking for. But I get your point. Like they weren't. They weren't doing that well on the puzzle. And I just think like credit to Erica and Deshaun for completing that puzzle as quickly as they did. I think that was like a really epic moment for our Toronto girl, Erica. I actually saw Erica had a a viewing party in Toronto, like just with her friends. And I saw, I have a friend in common with Erica. And so I saw a video from her viewing party on Instagram of when she won uh, that challenge and it was just like explosive obviously people are screaming and it was just like such a great moment for erica and so happy that she's able to escape the first vote being like a small girl i'm not sure that she actually would have been in trouble based on what we saw but uh you know she really pulled it out for her tribe and that was exciting for me uh as as a torontonian but our other torontonian (laughs) wasn't so lucky at uh, the ua camp Uh, we see a mess of a tribe pre-tribal council. Sarah, we haven't really talked about yet, but Sarah has been sort of on an emotional roller coaster from day one. Sarah's been crying from the outset. I mean, she's got good reason. You know, she has this story about how her grandmother passed away from COVID uh, in 2020, and she's just never gotten her footing in this game. And of course, she was on the puzzle with Shan, and she feels responsible for losing the challenge. And so she's just not doing well. Uh, Meanwhile, JD's been overplaying it since day one, right? And so we have this scene of Ricard, Shan, and Sarah coming together, talking about voting out JD. And it's spliced with a confessional from Shan about (sighs) how she is going to, you know, play both sides of this and is happy to double cross, deceive, slit throats, etc. Okay, I think we should have that conversation. Yeah, let's have it. Breakout star of the episode, uh-huh. uh, without question, and I just want to eat crow here. I <laughs> think I downplayed the significance of Shan, which honestly, in thinking about it, I don't like doing preseason judgments at all. It's just I have I'm going off of nothing, and yeah, yeah. I kept thinking as I was watching it, everyone that I thought I was going to like, I didn't like, and vice versa, and it just made me mad at myself. But. Shan, star. A star is born, a star is living. Um, And I think that it really came through, and this is to both her credit 
and productions credit when she sort of designed her theme song um, <laughs> in a confessional that yeah. was then underscored by production and actually like brought to life. I thought both narratively brilliant. I felt like that's something they can deploy throughout the season as Shan starts to make her moves, which are very clearly going to be small and strategic moves. And I think in a game where we so often see like big moves, I feel like Shan is going to be a fun player to watch because she is going to be planting seeds a lot throughout the game, it seems, and really effectively so. I thought like for... We've seen a lot of players do like the I'm going to act kind of thing. And I felt Mm -hmm. I have not seen it executed as well as with Shan where it's like I and I think I was in common with many of you are in having no idea where she was going to go. And though she came off as maniacal, it wasn't the sort of like mustache twirling maniacal that we get so often with players. It was more just like I'm going to be maniacal because it's going to work. And it did. I mean, she that this was her arc in so many ways, despite the fact that her life was never on the chopping block. Uh, ten stars, a hundred out of a hundred. Love Shan. And we never see women play this role. Like we so never. rarely get to see women. You know, we saw before the season. Deshaun said he's going to come in and be one way with uh, his fellow contestants and one way in confessionals, and he was going to be very devious and scheming. Well, we didn't see that from Deshaun. I mean, he didn't go to tribal council, but we didn't see it from Deshaun. We saw it from Shan. Shan didn't have to hype it up. That is just Shan. And I think she did an amazing job here. So we see this, uh, this, here's a blunder, in my opinion. We see Shan, Sarah, and Ricard talking And Brad walks by and they pull Brad in and they say, look, Brad, we're going to get JD out. And it's really Sarah and Ricard spearheading this JD vote. Brad, instead of saying, sounds good. Yep. mm -hmm. Now I'm going to go talk to my other fellow tribe mates. He says, well, actually, I'm thinking of voting out Shan or Sarah who are standing right there. And like this reminded me of Heroes versus Villains when yep. Russell says uh, it's going to be Courtney or Sandra who are sitting right here in Boston. Rob's like, "What are you doing?" Uh, it just like, except without or, any or, and without any of the uh, you know confidence that comes with being Russell hands. Right. You know well, what, I mean? what about Susie in Gabon? Yes. Um, yes that yes. to me was a moment that immediately came to mind with Corinne of her just being like, "I'm thinking about voting you." That's absolutely it. Thank you. That is a much better example. That's exactly what happened because it was a little bit clueless. Uh, So Brad really steps in it there. But I think that's like a good moment for Shan because Shan goes, okay, well, now I know where Brad's at. And and I think we start to see that Shan is really tight with JD. Yes. Also, to Shan's credit, and this is like, I think, where she needs the most credit So often you would have a situation in which Shan finds out that Brad is potentially thinking about putting her up the chopping block. And so often you would have a player like Shan be like, I'm going after Brad. I'm going to, I'm going to fire first. But Shan is smart enough to realize it's better to know your enemy. You know what I mean? Have this awareness Mm -hmm. because she can get him out later. So I just thought it was really savvy of her to not sort of take that information and go and say, I need to blow up Brad's game right now and just say, okay, I'm going to take that information, put it in my back pocket, but I can work with him for now. Smart. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, really, really, really great gameplay from Shan here. And she notes in her confessional that she's been involved in every conversation. She knows exactly where the votes are going, and it's her decision to make who goes home that night. Very clever. Meanwhile, I should mention Jeannie is giving us nothing. Love. Nothing. People are going to Jeannie and being like, Jeannie, who are you voting? And she's like, I don't know. Who do you guys want to vote for? <laughs> Chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah. Jeannie said before she went into the game, she wasn't going to be uh, strategizing early on. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's yeah. living up to it. She's living up to it. Although, maybe we should. Yo, yeah. Jeannie clearly has it out for Ricard. So there's some sort of, I don't know if you call mm. it strategizing, but she's got opinions. We just don't know. Well, them. you know what? Let's talk about the Ua Tribal Council before we go back and talk about Yasa and their strategy. So Ua goes to Tribal. Uh, they're actually the second Tribal of the Night. So we're talking about this out of order, but that's okay. Sarah is a mess. Sarah's been a mess all day long. Like she is just defeated. She's coming into Tribal defeated. Uh, she reveals at Tribal that Brad targeted her and Shan in public. Uh, and that's when things start to go a little sideways. JD is sort of giving uh, uh, his analysis of the situation. And at that moment, I think Ricard sort of shoots himself in the foot. Because Ricard starts talking to Shan, and I think Ricard clearly thinks he's in tighter with Shan than Shan is with Ricard. And he's turning to Sarah and Shan and saying, the vote tonight should be Brad. He's going, Brad, 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 Brad. And at that point, uh, uh, Jeff stops JD from answering and starts talking about how there's a little bit of a live tribal going on. JD's a little like freaked out by that. Ricard stands up and we've got our first live tribal, which you know how we feel about live tribals. Uh, so he goes to JD and tells JD to vote for Brad. Brad says, sure. And then Brad goes to talk to Shan. So this is what, this is why I believe that JD and Shan are the tightest two right now on this tribe. Uh, he's conferring with Shan and basically telling Shan, tell me who to vote for, right? Um, also really interesting at this moment, Sarah goes to approach them and Shan turns to Sarah and says, can you please give us some space? Right. And as we know, uh, they go to vote and Shan was essentially telling JD to vote for Sarah. Now the vote, the way the vote shook out was really interesting because we had Jeannie vote for Ricard, which I feel like was an in the moment decision because she didn't like that Ricard stood up and made it a live tribal. That's how I'm reading right. that. And as we know, I have she's nothing else to base it right. on. Right. And as we know, she's playing without strategy. So this all, yeah. this all confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we see Sarah vote for Brad. She is the lone vote. In fact, Ricard, Shan, and JD all vote for Sarah. So interesting that Ricard was in on that vote. Right. And I think this is one of those really interesting things about Survivor in general is I, I immediately assumed, I literally thought, oh, Ricard's definitely going to be on the out now because he's going to be the sole vote for Brad, only to then see that he actually voted you know, in fact, for Sarah. And it's curious to wonder if he did that out of instinct or if Shan is, in fact, aligned with Ricard and JD and sort of corralled that vote and said to Ricard, like, we're going, you know, so uh, I'm curious to see how much of the fallout will be, like, discussed on the show after the fact. But I have to give credit to Ricard here for either being perceptive enough to know what was going to happen or using the intel that he was given, but to say, 
I'm not going down with this ship. Let Sarah go. I need to re-strategize. But I think Ricard's in such a bad spot now because, A, he threw Brad's name around to other people that know it. And then Jeannie clearly has it out for him. So unless Jade, unless uh, he can get it, Ricard can get in with JD and Shan. And again, I don't know if JD is really that pro Ricard. I, I don't know how, I don't know where Ricard goes from here uh, without some sort of tribe swap. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried. Uh, so Ua, a bit of a mess. Sarah, she never took off. I had really high hopes for her preseason. Yeah. And uh, she just couldn't take flight. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to the Yasa camp. We're rewinding a little bit. We have a scene of Evie, Abraham, and Xander, and Voce in the water. This is the big surprise for me, right? Like, I was predicting a big battle between Voce and Evie. And in fact, they are very happily working together. You know, Voce's really surprised me. Me too. Uh, me too. Very, very surprising. In fact, I thought going into this that he was going to be unbearable, like overacting, overplaying. And actually, he's quite reserved and reasonable. I enjoy Voce so far. Uh, a little bit invisible. But what we did get from him was... Uh, Totally pleasant. And I was not expecting to be as attracted to him as I am. Yeah, yeah and, he's kind of uh, cute. Yeah, kind of cute. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, definitely I would say second to Shan in terms of players that surprised me. Um, but, yeah, I was also surprised with Evie. I just, I guess I had perceptions around who I thought they were going to align themselves with in the game. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised mm -hmm. that they were clearly, like, wanting to establish a sort of like boys club, if you will. Um, that was like very evident in, ter in terms of the four of them in the water together. Um, but, you know, yeah, things yeah. played out as they did. So, so in the water, Abraham is pitching uh, that they should vote off Tiffany. Meanwhile, Evie had already sort of aligned themselves with uh Liana and wanted to work with Tiffany and wanted to work with Voce and possibly Xander uh, is, is how we saw it. So I don't know who's Evie's number one, but we just know Evie does not want Tiffany to go home tonight. And so Evie starts working overtime to protect Tiffany. Uh, Evie actually goes to Tiffany and gives Tiffany a heads up that Abraham has put her name out there uh, and that Evie is doing everything they can to to make it not Tiffany. Which is a really risky move on Evie's part this early in the game, not knowing how, if or how volatile someone like Tiffany could be. Mm -hmm. And there's a chance when you go and give information like this up to someone that you want to go far with, that they go catatonic at the news of their name even being thrown out there and end up blowing up your game by just you know sort yeah. of like uh travel. revealing that you've yeah, yeah revealing that you've shared information so, with the target but i think to evie's credit i think they're perceptive enough to sort of i think they go off of like vibe right and it's like i yeah. think there was that clear like the way in which evie was so sure that they wanted to play this game with tiffany i get that because i would have the same inclination as well and it was very much like I'm all in with Tiffany. We didn't have like a final two discussion so much as I am making the decision that I want to play this game with Tiffany because it will better our games collectively. I, I sort of thought that was very savvy of Evie. 
Well, yeah, and Evie looked at Abraham's argument, which was we've got to keep the tribe strong. And Evie goes, well, if that's the case, then I'm not far behind Tiffany. So why would I align myself with this uh, with this logic? Um, so, yeah, so then we see Tiffany a little bit frantic. So Tiffany is not going to her fellow tribe mates to try to uh, to try to sway the vote. I think that Evie gave Tiffany a lot of comfort in terms of where the vote was going to lie. We actually saw Evie talking to Voce. Uh, so they were having a discussion about how Evie wants to keep Tiffany and Voce seemed more or less on board with that. Just like, again, so fascinated that these two are working together closely because uh, they're their personalities on paper are so at odds with each other, but uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen until you get out there. And so, so I think Tiffany has some comfort, but she would like more comfort. She starts looking for an advantage of some kind, oh. probably a hidden immunity idol. And we see her searching the very tree that Jeff hid the beware advantage in at the beginning of the episode. Like what are the chances? I mean, maybe they're, <laughs> Maybe Jeff filmed that after the fact. Who knows, right? But, you know, they even flash on the screen, like, where the advantage is hidden, and it's right in front of her and face. She and she even has that line it. where she says, as she's walking away, that she has she know, she has the sense that it's somewhere near here. Yeah, I yeah. thought we were potentially going to get a fake out, and that she had found the idol. Um, yeah. Which, wait, now that I'm thinking about it, she still could have found i mean i doubt this is the case but she could have found it and we might just not know this might be a mislead um if she did we'll have to find out in the next episode because the beware advantage comes with a task to do that's risky i see but like just the thought of my a female player to begin with and my favorite player at that finding a hidden immunity idol in episode one was just the ultimate tease yeah yeah absolutely so the yasa tribe goes to tribal and tiffany comes out swinging against abraham like she's mad and she says that he has a gift of being close to everyone without actually saying a single thing which is like so so mean so mean i love it i love it i just think tiffany like you want to say a star is born a star is born correct correct yeah yeah uh evie says that uh evie says that they're voting to keep the tribe strong uh and that gave me a little bit of a bad vibe because i was like oh no evie's gonna evie's going with the abraham approach of of voting tiffany out maybe and there was a feeling i had a feeling that maybe tiffany was going to go home because we got a lot of tiffany's backstory you know she did get uh sort of like a very sentimental look at her home life and she's so excited to play survivor and how much this means to her we did not get that for abraham right and so i did think like they may be setting Tiffany up here as like a very lovable first boot. Uh, I'm so glad that that did not pan out. In fact, the entire tribe uh, voted for Abraham to go home with Abraham voting for Tiffany. Uh, And Tiffany lives to slay another day. Thank God. So it also seems like the vibe again, because we're, I'm sure a theme throughout the season is going to be discussions about toxic fandom. But again, 
counterpoint, there's always a non-toxic side of the fandom. And it was really, really fun to just see how much social media was rallying behind Tiffany yeah, and kind of like, yeah. you know, I think there's a little bit of hyperbole that we're all sort of engaging in. But when we say Queen Tiffany from the outset, it's like, it's fun to have a character from episode one and to have a bunch of the fans kind of like, you know, just hyping her up. It's fun. It feels good. And it's like, she seems like someone worth rooting for at this juncture. And so the fact that a lot of people are rooting for someone that seems as heroic as her. And I, I loved her story about, you know, being a survivor and uh, in real life. And I just like Tiffany's, I, there have been some seasons where it's like, you see the cast at the outset and you're like, okay, I'm going to need to do some hard thinking about who to root for. Cause I got no one. And there's a couple players in this game, but none more so than Tiffany. Heather, a close second. But Tiffany really came away from this episode, I think, with the best edit. Yeah, yeah. So Maybe Shane. that's the episode. Do we have any uh, high-level thoughts on the episode? Anything we didn't talk about? I mean, we talked about a little bit. We touched on the backstories. Uh, certainly, it seems a prerequisite that you have a family member die before coming on uh, to Survivor. Very... It's very The Voice, very American Idol, very yeah. Mark's Got Talent. Yeah. I was going to say it's alive and well, but I guess that's the, the wrong <laughs> phrasing. I just will say I was really, really heartened by Ricard's package and learning about mm. more about his story, which I actually didn't know the full extent of. And though I think that this show can continue to do more by way of LGBTQ plus representation, considering we've only had one out trans contestant on the show ever, I still think being able to tell Ricard's story as a queer POC who is in a relationship with a trans man and they have these kids together, I think that is certainly a story that has not been told enough on television. And I think it's uh, really, really wonderful and it makes me root for him all the more. And also I think that's another reason why these packages are particularly important because there's a difference between how a person talks about their outside life in the game versus how they talk about it in these packages, you know, and being able to see that footage. I think even seeing Ricard's children, for instance, it just, it adds some critical context that I think can really uh, deepen your investment in the players early on. So A plus. Yeah. 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 I thought that Ricard actually had a very good showing all around uh, I think that even though he got himself into a little bit of hot water, he was on the right side of the vote. Uh, he's obviously going to be a go-to for narration. Uh, I think a lot of people on that tribe will be, Shannon JD as well, of course. Uh, so I'm actually very excited by that tribe. I was excited about that tribe preseason. Uh, they are not the strong tribe I thought they were going to be. They're a little bit of a mess, but in the best way. Like we've got some very smart people on that tribe. We have some not so smart people on that tribe. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch play out. I really hope that we're not going to get a tribe swap, you know, in like two episodes. Because uh, I want to see these people uh, evolve with each other. I think it's going to be fascinating, uh, especially to see how that alliance shakes out. Yeah. And where Janie Machini is going to fall in all this. Oh like, my where, God. We'll be what's watching. What's happening with her? Yeah. I also think it will be just exciting as the game progresses. Some of that nervous energy that obviously we mentioned Jeff having, but I think the cast as a whole did just because a lot of them were planned to be on the show a while back or I'm sure calls happen. You know, getting this phone call 
is probably always a delight, but to get it during COVID, I imagine there's just, there's, there's so much energy. So I think as time goes on and the sort of reality of the situation starts to set in and sort of, you know, being on the island and not having food and the exhaustion sets in, I think we'll get more into the thick of things quickly, just because that, that sort of excitement about the game dies down very quickly. Um, but I think there's an especial, special. I think there's especially a large amount of excitement given the circumstance. I also just want to say one thing I'm curious to see is Jeff had a really interesting comment early on in the episode about how people are probably going to be feeling a lot of emotions, um, and he didn't specify as to why, but I, I inferred that was related to COVID and probably the racial injustice mm. that was that is going on in this world, but that was particularly heightened around the time of filming in the wake of George Floyd's death. And I think that it's interesting to see how much of that was a setup for what's to come this season. I'm wondering if we're going to have more substantive conversations at camp about the world outside of the game. And that comment seemed to not imply, it seemed to actually bluntly state the fact that they were encouraging this kind of conversation, which is such a turnaround from early, mm -hmm. early Survivor, where it was very much like, we don't do conversations about the world, you know, yeah. <laughs> unless we yeah. have to. So yeah. I'm excited to see the possibility that that presents itself. And again, credit to Propes and production for welcoming these conversations and also like putting that sign up from the outset, you know, not actual sign, but saying, we want this. We want you to feel like you can be your 360 degree self. I think that having that invitation is important and notable. And I gotta say, like, I'm just increasingly becoming more and more pro probes as I, I really appreciate the willingness to change. I find that to be like yeah, one of my yeah. favorite qualities in a person. And I think he deserves credit for having these conversations and allowing himself to be imperfect. And I hope there's more conversations. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, okay. I just want to say that having a two hour premiere, uh, although there were two tribals, it was not the traditional two episode style of two hour premiere that we've gotten uh, in all of the sort of more recent two hour premieres we've had. So refreshing. I really felt like we got to meet this cast. And I think that the cast is so good. I think this is a really exciting cast. I don't know if that's just colored by the fact of uh, how well I got to know them preseason, uh, because I do know them so well. But I, I felt like they really shone in this episode. And you they know, really like, what? They shone. What's oh, they shine. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Uh, so, so the, the only complaint of course, is that we didn't get a whole lot of Luvu camp life because Luvu, uh, didn't have to go to tribal. But one thing I want to highlight, the final thing I want to highlight is Sydney, I think is as chaotic as we predicted her to be. Uh, she had actually, like, I'm actually a little bit charmed by her. I thought her delivery in confessionals was funny. Uh, although like, you know, I'm never going to stand someone who says like, uh, what did she say? Nothing. She likes to go traveling with nothing but the clothes on her back, her retainer and her dad's credit card, which is really her credit card. Uh, and, uh, but, but she did have some, like the way she delivers it is very funny. Like I, I do find her charming. Oh, I totally enjoyed her more than I thought. And what's interesting is she distinctly feels like the person like most out of their element by way of tribe mates. 
to make another yeah. Gabon comparison, because we were talking about it earlier, you think about that tribe where it's like you've got like Charlie and Marcus and Corinne and like just this tribe full of people that I think would be friends in the outside world, outside of the game. And you look at someone like Sydney in this situation and it's like, I don't think she was vibing with Erica. I did not get that impression at all. Yeah. And then yeah. she's clearly throwing Nasir under the bus. Yeah. We didn't see Heather at all, so who's to know? But it's just, I'm really interested to see Sydney's gameplay as she sort of tries to form bonds with people that I just think are very clearly out of her Brooklyn law circuit. Um, but yeah, she definitely well, surprised but, me. But I thought it was interesting because I uh, I think I called in our preseason that I could see her teaming up with Deshaun and Danny because I said that Sydney had bro vibes. Right. And that and became evident when she threw Nasir under the bus. So Yeah. So she talked to Deshaun. She said, look, Nasir said, like, no strategizing. And then he told us you were looking for idols, which was true. But it's a very good opportunity for Sydney to take to say, like, these are two guys who are clearly were willing to work together and I could get in with them very easily by throwing someone else under the bus. Right. And it so shows that I thought it was very smart. Right. And it shows them immediately immediate loyalty from her yeah. because it's yeah. like it gives them the comfort of knowing, you know, you sort of ask in any of these sort of situations, okay, what is this person bringing? And it's like, she's bringing eyes and ears. Right. Yeah. And yeah. these two players are, I don't know. I can't really speak to their social game yet, but it's like, she clearly is going to be a very social player and able to form strong bonds. So I could definitely see the three of them linking up and taking that far. I have to say too, like we've seen a lot of instances of like this two players that sort of link up and go to the end together, I would be really curious to see a situation in which three players have that same sort of JT Steven-esque loyalty. I'm curious if that could happen because if you get three players that are truly in a final three situation, again, I'm this is doing a lot of predicting that it's unfounded, but yeah. <laughs> if, the, if the three of them were to link up, you really could totally dominate this game if you're able to secure genuine loyalty from the outset. Again, I'm yeah. going off of very little, but that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think if I recall our preseason episode, your winner pick was Tiffany. I think that's still a strong, strong winner pick. I think Tiffany got a very good showing in this episode. Uh, maybe not so strategic, but just in terms of likability, really strong showing. I think my winner pick was JD. A uh, little nervous about that now, but... Uh, uh, you know, at least I didn't pick Sarah. But I will say to JD's credit is that he is set up for one thing that I think Survivor viewers love, which is like the growth arc because yes. JD came in with a lot of personality. And I think that this game can both humble him and mature him if yeah, given yeah. the opportunity. So I don't think you're in like a bad situation with JD, especially uh, as you mentioned, because he has seemingly has that loyalty with Shan. I don't think yeah. it's a bad pick. Yeah, if he's Shan's second, and I think Shan's smart enough to make him feel like the first, uh, those two could go very, very far together, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a best case scenario for JD, I think. Okay, let's leave it there. Uh, we will be talking about Survivor again next week. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. Let us know your thoughts on the come on in guys discussion. Uh, uh, you know, unless you're toxic, then we don't want to hear from yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I don't know if I want to open that floodgate. But I will be interested just here because I'm a big fan of the other recap podcasts that are out there. I'm interested to see how, you know, long time uh, yeah. watchers of the show deal with this. And I also am particularly interested to uh, 
just sort of watch how much the con again if these conversations about the world outside are going on how those who engage with discussions about sort of the gameplay and strategizing aspects of the show sort of take on the discussions that seem to be that the show seems to set up as being a part of the season in some way i just think there's really exciting opportunities here and i'm excited for new viewers of the show because you know, you want this to be a good first showing for anyone. Because I imagine there are going to be, I, I'm a new viewer, right? Like, this is my first time watching the show in real time. And you want it to be a good first showing. And I think this was an excellent premiere. Okay, great. Let's wrap this up. DM us your voice memos with thoughts on this episode. We would love to hear them. Maybe play them on our next recap episode. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.